Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Hi, this is Carrie, and I'd like to welcome you to the fifth episode of SLP Talk Show. I can't believe it's already our fifth episode, Jim. I know, it's crazy. Isn't it? So in episode four, we talked about autism awareness. And today I'm going to expand on this topic and we're going to discuss the importance of autism acceptance as well. So I am very happy to have my husband Jim here with me today once again. And I'm super excited for you to hear his input on this topic as well. Well, hello. Yeah, hopefully I can contribute. (laughs) Well, I know you can. Uh, In case you're new to the podcast, Jim and I have a 17-year-old son who is autistic, and so it's really nice that he can join me on these conversations, especially uh, when we're talking about something as important as autism acceptance. Sure, yeah. So um, last week, you know, a lot of awesome information um, in that podcast. Um, So how do you... You know, thinking about awareness and then shifting to um, acceptance. How do you, how do you go from awareness to acceptance? Yeah, that's that's it's a really important topic. I think you know this is April, and uh, as we're recording this, and April is uh, Autism Awareness Month, and most of us have tried to shift that narrative to Autism Awareness and Acceptance Month month, and so it is important. But I think. You know, when we start with autism awareness, when I was a kid, I was born in 1971. Jim, you were born in 1969. So mm-hmm. when I was a kid, uh, there really wasn't any autism awareness to speak of. Um, when I think back to my childhood, I don't think that I knew anyone who was autistic. Did you? No, I didn't. I didn't know anybody either. Okay, so we have to think about this. Like, why didn't we, right? Why didn't, why was there so little autism awareness uh, back in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s? Well, here's kind of the scenario. The lack of awareness meant fewer people were actually getting diagnosed. So there was a lack of awareness, not only in lay people like you and I, but there was a lack of awareness in the educational community. There was a lack of awareness in the medical community. So kids weren't getting diagnosed as autistic. If you listen to episode four, we talked a little bit about the DSM-5 criteria. And back in one of the previous DSMs, I think it was the DSM-2, autism was classified under schizophrenia. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that autism didn't exist when we were kids. Right. That's the main thing I want people to understand. Uh, uh, autistic people have always existed. It's that we didn't have a, uh, a way to diagnose them, right? They didn't get that, that label, if you will, of autism. So there's a lack of awareness. So fewer people were getting the diagnosis when we were younger. Uh, but also when I was in elementary school, there was, well, I mean, I think even all the way through high school, there was a separate school that kids went to if they learned differently. Mm-hmm. So inclusion wasn't a thing when we were in school, right? right? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, so I, I would agree with that. So of course we didn't know anybody who was autistic because there was very little awareness. So over the years, uh, as we have learned more in the medical community, the educational community about what autism is, we've had improved diagnostic criteria with the updates in the DSM. And so now that we have this improved criteria for diagnosis, what we know is more children are getting diagnosed. And as more children get diagnosed, it means there's more autism awareness. Right. If you have a child who's autistic, uh, that means those parents are aware, which means the neighbors are probably aware, which means the grandparents are aware, which means aunts and uncles are aware. And Mm -hmm. so awareness starts to become more prevalent. So we have seen an increase in autism awareness, most certainly. Uh, I would say that today most people have heard of autism and most people know something about it. Uh, I would even go so far as to say most people today know someone who is autistic or know someone who has an autistic child or maybe an autistic grandchild, Mm -hmm. right? So while autism awareness has improved, I want to restate, and I talked about this a little bit in episode four, that there is still still room for improvement even in autism awareness in regards to uh, girls and children of color because they are not getting referred for autism evaluations. Uh, The kids who tend to get referred earliest for autism evaluations are white boys. Mm-hmm. So I do want to make that point that autism awareness still has room to improve, okay? So while autism awareness is growing and that is a good thing, I just really want to talk today about how autism awareness isn't enough. We need to continue moving forward by talking about society's role. What is our role as neurotypical people, right? right. What is our ro- role? And that role is autism acceptance. So I think the easiest way to start discussing autism acceptance is to just real quickly chat about the difference between the medical model of disability and the social model of disability. As a speech language pathologist, I was trained under the medical model of disability. In other words, uh, the whole premise of the services that uh, uh, my profession provides is to fix deficits. So what we would historically do is do a standardized test, identify problem areas or deficits on that standardized test. Then we would write goals to fix those deficits. So in essence, we provided services to fix deficits. That's, right. that's yeah. the medical model of disability. Okay. But now we're shifting to this social model of disability. And so what we do now is we look at each child's strengths and we build upon their strengths. We look at their interests and we use those. And so the focus is not on fixing deficits. It is on uh, meeting each child where they're at and building upon strengths and interests. So that's more positive, wouldn't mm-hmm. you say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when we look at social interactions, I think that it's really important that we understand that any social interaction has to be bi-directional in nature, mm-hmm. okay? Meaning it's a two-way street, right? You can't have a social interaction by yourself. Right. There has to be another person, right? So we're talking about this reciprocity, if you will, this give and take. So as a speech language pathologist, I spend a lot of time thinking about this. When there is a communication breakdown, which there often will be if you have a neurotypical person talking to an autistic person, right? there's going to be communication breakdowns, okay? So what we have historically done under the medical model of disability is 
in air quotes, blamed the autistic child or the autistic person, right? right? And said, oh, it's it's their problem. It's their problem. They don't communicate like we do. So we need to teach them how to communicate like neurotypical people do. So we would write goals, pragmatic communication, social communication goals, and try to teach them the neurotypical way to communicate. Right. Okay. So that's under the medical model. But under this uh, social model of disability, we should really be recognizing that communication breakdowns uh, are bi-directional in nature. So we as, let's take me, as a neurotypical communication partner, I must carry some of the responsibility for that breakdown. I totally agree. So instead of saying, oh, we need to have social skills groups for autistic children, which has been very prevalent historically in our field, what we, I think it's fine to um, teach autistic children how neurotypical people communicate, neurotypical communication patterns. That's fine. But it is just as important to teach neurotypical people about autistic communication. Right. Doesn't that just make sense? Oh, yeah. So, you know, I think about you and I can communicate with Aaron very well. Absolutely. We understand him. We we know his communication style, if you will. Yeah. But when I'm with one of Aaron's autistic friends, it's it's more of a struggle. There's more and, breakdown, and, isn't and there? And it's it's probably more my fault than it is than it is his because I I'm not I don't have enough experience with him and I don't you know, I'm not picking up on his communication style as easily as I do with Aaron because I right. I've spent so much time with him. Right. So right. but I do recognize that it's probably me at fault because his parents have no problem Problem. communicating with him. So they may have maybe a little more issue communicating with Aaron because they're not as familiar with him. So I I don't know. Maybe that's... That's really good insight. And I guess it's something that, you know, from as a professional, as an SLP, I guess I've never really thought about it that way because I always think Aaron's so easy to communicate with, but he's not. Like, you know, people at church, I mean, people try, but you see where they get... They kind of shut down because it's not the same. Aaron, just so you know, I mean, in general, autistic people aren't big fans of small talk. Like, no. what do neurotypical people do? And if you're, you know, right. passing by somebody at church and you just want to have a quick, you know, short, sweet conversation, you don't talk about deep stuff and you don't talk about special interests like wild animals, right? right. You talk about the weather <laughs> and, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, whatever is going on that's like just, hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not like how... Aaron communicates. So you and I, that's just, yeah, that's really insightful. You and I communicate with him very well. His sisters communicate with him very well. There aren't very many people though no. who really communicate and with I, him And very I think well. a lot of times what you get from, from Aaron um, when it's a small talk kind of conference, he'll just nod his head. You he know, does, and doesn't he, he? And he will just kind of smile and, and you know, he'll acknowledge, right. you know, and he tries to be very, um, you know, respectful of mm-hmm. that person. Um, mm-hmm. But he doesn't add much to the conversation. No, no. And you know what he usually does now that I think about it is he will actually excuse himself and go to his safe place, which is right. his room. Yeah. Right. Or, so or, yeah, or he'll he'll step away. He does. He will step away because he. You can just see that he's like, okay, I'm not sure what I can contribute here. So right. my, I love that. So that was my whole point in bringing this up is that we must acknowledge that society has a role in this. It, yes. It's not 100%. about fixing. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in so many of my social media posts, I reiterate this point that there is no amount of therapy mm-hmm. that is going to make an autistic child less autistic. Okay. Right. There's, we must understand the purpose of therapy because therapy is not to fix deficits. Now it is if you're practicing under the medical model, right? But under the social model of disability, we're not fixing deficits. So what I'd like to do is give you ASHA 
And ASHA is the American Speech and Hearing Association. Uh, if in case I didn't know that. You didn't know that's no. what it stood for? No. I thought it was something else. You did? No, just kidding. <laughs> All right. So I want to give you ASHA's definition or explanation, if you will, of autism. Okay. So here it is. Are you ready? Autism is a disorder marked by deficits in communication and social skills and the presence of restricted or repetitive behaviors. Okay. One more time. Here we go. Autism is a disorder okay. marked by deficits in communication and social skills and the presence of restricted or repetitive behaviors. Okay. So what do you think, Jim? Is that positive or do you get kind of a negative connotation from uh, that's there? why i wanted to listen to it twice I, I i i feel pretty like it's pretty pointed negative it is pretty negative isn't it so one of the things i have started doing to start kind of practicing autism acceptance is trying to change some of the wording of some of these definitions so okay Follow me, Jim. Here we go. So instead of saying autism is a disorder marked by deficits, mm -hmm. what if we just said autism is marked by differences? Okay. Instead it, of deficits. Instead of deficits. Get rid of disorder. Well, let's just autism is. That's what I love to autism say. Autism is. Right. Autism is neither good nor bad. Autism is. is. Right. What do you think of that? Okay. I, think, I think that's great. Autism is. Yeah. It always has been. It always will be. Autism is. So autism is marked by differences in communication and social skills. Nothing mm -hmm. negative so far. No. Right? And the presence of, so let's get rid of restricted and repetitive behaviors. And let's just say, and the presence of deep interests. Okay. What do you think of that? So my new explanation, autism is marked by differences in communication and social skills and the presence of deep interests. I, I like that a okay. lot. So- we start creating change by changing the language around autism. That's what this is all about, yeah. right? Is we yeah. have to change the narrative a little bit. We have to change the perception because historically, autism is talked about in pretty negative ways, right? So that's, There's, so that's how you're going to go from awareness to acceptance. Yes, yeah, we're going to start by, yeah, changing the language, yeah. right? Right. So um, what we know is that autism is a spectrum I want you to keep that word in mind. It is mm -hmm. a spectrum of varying strengths, differences, and challenges. So it's a spectrum, right? So right. what that means is it's not linear. We have forever talked about autism as being um, binary. Right. Like, he's um you, you have it or you don't yeah and it's well and it is in that regard like you're either autistic or you're not autistic but when we look at autism in and of itself we look people will say oh he's high functioning autism or he has low functioning autism or he's mildly autistic or he's severely autistic so there's this this binary way of looking at autism but when we view it as a spectrum which it is technically called autism spectrum right so when we look at it as a spectrum um what we're going to do is recognize that it's not linear so i invite you to go to my instagram post from april 11th 2022 and swipe through the slides and look at all the visuals it is so much easier when you look at the visuals of the spectrum i'm going to try to explain it in words but i hope you'll go to that post from april 11th 2022 That's today uh, yeah, today. We're recording it today. So I did a post on this today, which again, I'm trying to kind of mirror my social media posts with this podcast. I'm just, I'm so proud of myself that I knew what today was. That you knew what the was. date was. You're yeah. doing good. Yeah. You're doing good. Absolutely. So unlike a light switch that is either on or off, right? A light switch is binary. It is either on or it is off. There's no 
there's no um, in-between, right? Right, right? Okay, so um, instead of viewing autism in that regard as high-functioning or low-functioning, oh, the autistic child is high-functioning. Um, people will sometimes ask us that, won't they, Jim? We'll be somewhere and they'll be like, so does Aaron have high-functioning autism? Oh, yeah, I get that all the time. It's like if people don't really understand autism, right. they will be like, oh, so is he like Rain Man? Does he, oh, can he count? Oh, the Rain can Man. He, can he multiply large numbers? And I'm like, no. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot about Rain Man. Gosh, what year did that movie come uh, out? I don't know. 92, 93, 92. So, like that. Th- you know what's interesting? That's so fun that you brought that up because that little nugget, that was everybody's, for a lot of people, that was their first introduction to autism. Right. And so what did everybody assume then? That they if just, you're autistic, yeah. you have a, a splinter skill. That's what that's right. called technically. Right. A splinter skill. Like you can do... Yeah. Then we're, we're all going to go to Vegas and count cards. Right, exactly. Right? Like yeah. Rain Man did. Right? I mean, I'd like to go to Vegas. You know, we have tried, side note, we have tried to go to yeah. Vegas How many twice. Times? At least twice. And maybe three times. And and every time we try to go to Vegas, the weather, isn't it always the weather? No, well, the last time our flight got canceled because of ice. Yeah, the weather. Yeah. yeah. It's always and then been. the time before that. Oh, our daughter got engaged. Yeah. And we had to go meet the future in-laws. So yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. So we had to cancel that trip. So someday Jim and I are going to Vegas. Yeah. I don't know. And what... I'm going I'm to I'm count cards. And you're going to count cards. Okay. So <laughs> okay. So what were we talking about? Um, I don't even know now. Um, the light switch. The light switch. Oh, yeah, yeah. So instead of viewing it as either he has high-functioning autism or low-functioning autism, uh, instead when we view it as a spectrum, what we understand is that a spectrum, by definition, can have an infinite number of values between the extremes. So I want you guys to start considering a child's spectrum profile. Like this is my new terminology. I just made up this new, it's a thing. It's called the spectrum profile, right? Because autism is a spectrum. And I think for so long we focused on that it's a disorder. But what I want us to start focusing on is that it is a spectrum, Okay, and that spectrum is varying strengths, varying differences, and varying challenges, right? Wouldn't you agree, Aaron, has a wide variety of, and and it has changed and morphed over the years, hasn't it? Yeah. Oh my gosh, when I look at his his, um, spectrum profile, if we were to create one from when he was three... It looked completely different. Oh my gosh, even at age eight when he started public school or where he was, you know, even three years ago. I mean, gosh, some of the stuff he's doing today, Jim, I, I we just, it's it's baffling, you guys. It really, sometime we should do an episode where we just talk about Aaron's journey. Yeah. You know, that'd be really fascinating to just kind of go through because gosh, he's 17 and it has been quite a journey, hasn't it? Yeah. That would be fun. That would be. It'd be really interesting. So we're going to start looking at the child's spectrum profile. It's a great place to start when you're looking at autism programming, when you're writing therapy goals, right? Whether it's for an IEP, whether you work in private practice, whether it's a, a, a toddler and you're working in early intervention, trying to create an IFSP, you know, look at those outcomes. So I think that there are two different spectrum profiles that we need to consider. Okay, so everybody with me here? So the first one is the level of support needs. So when we look at an autistic child, we're going to look at do they need low support, moderate support, or high support? So we're going to look at all the different areas of um, development in which the child might 
need support. So we're looking at, let's take something like dressing. Mm -hmm. So if the child, um, you know, maybe uh, the child can pretty much dress himself but needs help with shoes and socks. Mm -hmm. So that child has low support needs for dressing, right? Um, You might look at a child and you might consider their toileting. Maybe, you know, they're a young child and they're, 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 you know, maybe they're an older child. But what are their toileting support needs? Oh, maybe this child needs moderate support, right? right? He's not independent, needs moderate support. We look at things like feeding oneself or fine motor tasks or transitioning between activities. So we can assign a level of support for each of those areas. And by doing that, what we're doing is painting a picture of who this child is. Okay. So that's the first. We look at support needs. The second part of the spectrum profile is we look at um, the expression of autism traits. So we look at all the different things that make a person autistic and we look at do they have a low expression, moderate expression, or high expression. So some of the uh, autistic traits that we consider are things like a need for sameness. Mm-hmm. So when we look at Aaron, let's talk right. about our son. Where would you place Aaron's need for sameness? Is it a low expression, moderate, or high expression? I'd say moderate to high. Yeah, yeah. I think he, it's gotten better, yeah. but um, he definitely has to have his routines. And if there's something new that's going to be injected into that routine, then, you know, he has to kind of prepare himself. Well, there's a little anxiety. Don't we see that anxiety? And I'll tell you how anxiety often comes up in um, autistic children. Um, Actually, maybe even in some kids who aren't autistic, but a lot of repetitive questioning, asking Mm -hmm. the same thing over and over. Or Aaron doesn't ask the question anymore. Aaron makes a statement, but man, he makes it over and over. So like if he had, like he has an orthodontist appointment next week. And so that only comes up about every six weeks. So it's something different out of the routine, out of the ordinary. So multiple times yesterday, he would just say to us, I have to go to the orthodontist at one o'clock next Thursday. I have to go to the, next Thursday is my orthodontist. Dad, I have to go, you know, and he'll, he just said, it I bet four five maybe even six times yesterday where he just repeats it and that's his way of dealing with the anxiety right so mm-hmm. um it is important to understand that but yeah I think when Aaron was younger it was a high expression I mean oh, that need for high. I mean oh my gosh yeah. like it was almost it was hard to leave the house some days because mm-hmm. you know yeah. if we were changing the routine um he would have a meltdown but um now I would say you're right it's more of a moderate I think um some days he's, he's gotten better with yeah it. definitely definitely so other things we look at is like noise sensitivity that's a very common autistic trait and I would say Aaron's is moderate wouldn't you think um yeah I, I, I don't I wouldn't place it any higher than moderate. no no moderate um he again he used to really not be able to tolerate oh gosh Jim do you remember when he was a toddler I couldn't use you know the hand mixer to like make brownies you know where I would put the little the beaters the beaters he would lose his like he would cry so hard Jim would have to take him outside if I needed to use the beaters because he could not handle that that noise because I didn't use him very often I guess and back then I didn't know to prepare him for it we didn't have any noise reducing headphones you know available when he was that young Uh, so he does have a pair of green noise reducing headphones that he will often keep in his backpack uh, and he that way he can put them on you know if he needs to Uh, other things we look at are another autistic trait it's like tactile sensitivity a lot of autistic individuals are very uh, sensitive to Mm -hmm. textures and uh, Aaron has never liked the grass no that is something that has always bothered him but we also remember when he was in elementary school and they would try to do like arts and crafts with him and they would say he's refusing to do activities with glue and you and I were like well he doesn't like sticky stuff on his hands that's not refuse I mean we have to that's not a 
behavioral refusal. That is a, my nervous system can't handle that Yeah, refusal. but that's how they interpret it. Absolutely. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, if you're a parent of an autistic child, you know this very well, that our kids often get described as being non-compliant, as refusing to participate, right? right? So part of the problem is that a lot of professionals do not understand sensory. Mm-hmm. And if you have followed me for any length of time at all on social media or heard me present in person, uh, uh, you know that one of my sayings is sensory trumps everything. Right. Like you can't understand a child and their behaviors until you understand how their nervous system processes sensory input. Mm-hmm. Uh, other areas we could look at as far as uh, autism traits, things like stimming, degree of stimming. Now, uh, Aaron has autistic friends and we know that some of them have more stimming than right. he does so well, and he used to he used to have a lot more he, stimming that he, he would do he would do rocket fingers rocket fingers in front and, of his face and then when he was little right at the level of the counter in the kitchen when yep. he was what four maybe three maybe he was tall three, yeah was three tall. probably um you know he would just walk by it and look peripherally he uses his peripheral vision at you know, the counter for Hours at a time. Yeah. And do you remember the other thing he did as a toddler? When he would take those little colored bears, you know, the little oh, sorting yeah. bears? Stick them in his and he eyes. would stick them in his eyes. He would <laughs> poke his eyes. And I remember that one time when you and I, we probably had too much wine. And we were like, hey, let's stick bears in our eyes. Because yeah. we were like, we need to understand why our son did this. <laughs> so we'd start sticking bears in our eyes. And we're both like, oh, wow, I get it you now. See stars. You see stars, rainbows. Yeah. It's pretty color. So if you're a visual seeker, which we found out um, after the more we learned about sensory, that our son is a visual seeker. Uh, he really likes things that spin. He likes uh, lights, you know, the, you know, those little spinning right. toys where you yep. push the button and it spins round and round. Mm-hmm. He still to this day has colored lights in his room. So he likes to sit at night in the dark, but he has, you know, like strands of Christmas lights, but he wants them to be colored. And sometimes they flash or blink. Sometimes they don't. He's always just been a kid who really uh, seeks visual input. So anyways, we've got this um, expression of autism traits and we've got uh, the uh, support needs. So we've got two different spectrum profiles to look at. And I will argue that if you do this, it will give you more information than any standardized test ever could about where uh, about how uh, you know an autistic child is is doing and what type of supports they need mm-hmm. because standardized tests cannot provide this type of functional relevant meaningful authentic information that a spectrum profile could so I guess one of the things, if you're a professional, I, I, I'm going to pose to you is, why aren't we creating a spectrum profile for each autistic child? Why are we relying so much on, on standardized tests when we look at autism programming and look at goals? Because I will tell you from a parent's perspective, and Jim, I'm sure you would agree with me on this, we don't really care what you work on, but it better be functional. Like, you know, right. you're the expert, you're the, you're the teacher, you're the therapist, whatever, but whatever you're working on, please make sure it is functional. Right. Yeah. Right? That's what matters most. I don't want you teaching some isolated skills right. based on a standardized test. Right. I mean, oh. I'd rather not check the box. Yeah. I'd rather it be functional. Yeah, yeah. And and you can't use neurotypical milestones to support autistic children because mm-hmm. autistic children do not develop, learn, process sensory input, uh, interact with others. They don't communicate the same way that neurotypical kids do. Yeah. I can remember my mom telling me a story about my brother. Okay. Okay. So my brother um, played, uh, he was an athlete, Uh very good athlete, played baseball in college, was a really good football player, you know, and I remember during, they had some sort of test at school. (laughs) This is a great story. And my brother couldn't skip. Like, how old is he? Like, seven, eight? 
you know, 15, so, 16. No, I'm, ki- no. I'm kidding. Not 15, 16. He was probably, you know, yeah, six or seven, eight uh-huh. maybe at the most. And they were like, oh, this is a problem. There's there's a problem. And my brother was probably the one of the best athletes to ever come out of that school. Yeah, yeah. And he was so, super coordinated, yeah, super talented, so, but he couldn't skip. So they decided... So I remember your a, mom it was, said it was an issue. Yeah, they they called and so. said, "Mrs. Ebert, we need you to work on skipping with little Billy." <laughs> <laughs> she was like, "What? <laughs> Have you lost your mind?" Okay, so that's a great story. I love that. I love that. Ultimately, I guess because I know Jim, you asked me at the beginning, you know, what's the difference between autism awareness and autism acceptance? Here's what I'm going to end with: autism acceptance means we accept the autistic child for who they are, not for who the world thinks they should become. Autistic children are not broken or deficient versions of neurotypical children. And autistic children are not optional members of society. So what we don't want to do is we don't want to seek to change them. We want to seek to understand and accept them and provide necessary supports along the way. That's what I mean by autism acceptance. You know, it's been really cool watching Aaron over the years and and see how people, you know, take the time to to know him and accept him it's amazing it's a great feeling it is and i think one of the best things or examples that we could probably share is we moved into this house a couple years ago right before the pandemic hit and our neighbors have been oh they're so i mean so nice they love him so much. they love him like he's their grandson and they welcome him and accept him and i mean they even renamed their fish after because aaron, aaron can i tell this story yeah, so they have fish. a what kind of fish is that called a koi a fish koi a koi pond, so they have a koi pond in their backyard and they have this one really giant fish and they always called him big Big boy? Yeah, big, big boy. Because he's a big boy, right? And Aaron goes over and is, you know, standing around. He loves animals of all types. So he's talking to this fish and, you know, chatting. And 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 the neighbor comes over and says, um, oh, are you looking at the fish? And Aaron goes, yeah, I like deep. And they're like, oh, that's big boy. And Aaron goes, no, that's deep. So now they call him deep. They named him deep <laughs> because Aaron wanted to call the fish deep. And so our neighbors are like, deep it is. So <laughs> it is so awesome. And yeah. when they go out of town, um, go to the lake or whatever, they will ask if Aaron can go check on deep. So when Aaron has that job, I mean, I think I posted last year, he took an umbrella and went out in the rain because he's like, I have to go check on deep. Yep. So he takes his jobs very seriously. Yep. So anyways, I want to thank you guys for listening to another episode of SLP talk show we hope you found the information beneficial Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast we'd really appreciate it if you'd follow like or subscribe to the show and leave five stars to let us know that we're on the right track so as you head back to the real world why can't i say the word world (laughs) as you head back to the real world real world real world remember joy is a choice that you make every day when you wake up Throw kindness around like confetti. And please get your boobies checked every year. It could just save your life. Yes, I actually said boobies. If this is your first time listening, I am a 10-year breast cancer survivor. So uh, make sure you uh, get a mammogram every year. It could just save your life. It certainly saved mine. Until we meet again, cheers. Cheers.